Okay, guys, let's sit down. I hope there was a variety there. I said a few weeks ago that uh, uh, there's a book which is still a standard um, uh, and uh, was written a long, long time ago that lists 95 pictures of the church in the New Testament some of which I would never have thought of in a thousand years. So, um, uh, like all churches, over a period, we have thought a lot about values, the things that are most important to us, the things that we would be disinclined to change. And uh, we've looked at areas of mission and of spirituality and of community as well. You'll find those, uh, all of those things. I look at them from time to time. Uh, I'm sure others do, and I think they, they sort of stand. They are the ways in which we hope we act or hope we react. The most contested one of those has been the way we think about community because that's, uh, that's very challenging. Uh, to the type of church we are, um, that was foundational. It's the way in which those churches started, found their way forward in the late 60s and into the 1970s. And there was a, lo uh, a lot of discussion. I can go back now to thinking of some of the guys I met and talked to and some of the extremes we went to. And uh, you're fortunate not to uh, have been implicated in those, unless you were. People like Helen and uh, I, certainly Margaret would have been at various times. And uh, talk about how many angels can you get on the head of a pin. Some of our discussions about the nature of church um, would have uh, made that look like a, a relaxed discussion. But uh, I've spoken on this for a couple of uh, weeks. It's a sort of values 101 talking about community idea uh, thing and uh, not getting very deeply into it at all. Over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about the fact that if you want to define church, you can define it as a community of relationship gathered around Jesus. Now, it's not quite enough for a definition, but it's probably 60-70% of the way there. Um, so that's, uh, that's really... Uh, Great, I need to stop there because I've got a note at the top that I need to give testimony about something before we go any further. I, I also wanted to comment on uh, uh, when we were talking about the um, uh, talking about the different nationalities that a memory unbidden came to mind of the first time uh, I was in Kenya. I visited a place called Meru. Uh, the strongest smell uh, was of cooking beer uh, when I went there. It was a fenced, uh, fenced village. Um, and uh, there I was introduced to a very elderly man um, who stood up from his chair and uh, explained to me that he had been in the King's African Rifles in the First World War. Um, he was so proud of it. 
I didn't want to get into a discussion with him about the political implications of that, which rather troubled me um, and, uh, at the time. But the, the number of nationalities that have uh, fought on behalf of others and have sought to serve in that way is huge. Huge number of people from uh, uh, the subcontinent of India as well. But just, I, I needed to, to mention that. But my testimony is this. You know that I had a sort of event uh, sometime in April, an embarrassing event, which meant that uh, I was stuck on a, a stretcher and as they wheeled me through, uh, I realised that it had all gone a bit casualty when they said, take him to recess one. Um, and then when they moved me, um, that we've got to have somebody with the bag. Uh, when they moved me, and so you had three people with the stretcher, one of whom had got this whacking great uh, yellow and green rucksack on his back. And then when I got to the place I was, uh, it actually went from bad to worse, and there was a lot of uh, going off of sirens a couple of times, and people running around. Um, the way they described it, sort of medical diagnosis, was you've been very lucky. Um, and uh, uh, within a couple of hours I had a temporary, then a permanent pacemaker put in. Now over the past six months I've had various symptoms, I haven't felt terribly well and on and off um, and uh, on what day, Wednesday last uh, I was due for a checkup. And uh, there were some problems but the problems are not to do with me, they're due to the fact that the thing that sits beside my bed and uploads the information from my heart every night uh, hasn't been working for the past three weeks. But apparently there are lots of reasons why that sort of thing happens. But oh shock horror, my pacemaker has not kicked in since they've put it in. It hasn't been needed. So all the symptoms I've been experiencing have not been in my heart, they've been in my head. Right. Now, I want to give testimony to the fact there's three possibilities. It was just a blip, as the technician said. It could have been just a single thing. It could have been that God dealt with that. It could have been in the nature of a spiritual attack and challenge, any of those three things. Guys, I really want to give glory to God because I can tell you this much, this is not down to my faith. I had accepted that that was the way things were. And do you know what put me off of testifying this morning to that? The thought that, what if it comes back again? What if there is a problem? And I want to stand on the ground of the fact that God has done something that has made it unusual that that has not come back. And that uh, you would not believe the, uh, the transformation in the feeling of wellness that has occurred by being told, at the moment, there's nothing wrong with me. Um, <laughs> I came home, and, or I said on the phone to Wendy, none of those symptoms that I experienced were real. And you can imagine what Wendy said. <laughs> Am I surprised? 
which there you go, that's what wives do. They're full of sympathy uh, for you. But to God be the glory. Yeah, I, I really, really want to acknowledge that. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Okay, church is a community of relationship gathered around Jesus. The second session we had, we uh, talked about the fact that it exists whether church is gathered or scattered. Um, we, uh, we asked the question, um, what sort of gathering is church? And we talked about whether or not pizza evenings were a gathering of the church. Okay, we also asked the question, excuse me, in relation to being a scattered church, whether church existed at 9.35 on a Wednesday morning. And we looked at that as well. Now, that makes life very complex, as does many, many other thoughts about church. The fact that you can talk about church here in this little group, you can talk about church in the town, you can talk about church in the region, you can talk about the church universal, you can talk about the church cosmic, one of the dimensions of church that includes all those living and dead who follow, have followed Jesus. I find that an amazing thought to have. Um, so there's lots of things that make it complex. But for us, the challenge is this, the challenge I want to look at today, and I'm not coming up with answers. Relationships take investment. Okay. Community, uh, to be a community of relationship, we've got to put something into that. If our only investment is in local church, and I'm not suggesting it is, we have no time for other relational communities of which we are part. So that's part of it. On the other hand, if we don't give enough of ourselves to church, we lose the relational essence and church becomes a husk. A husk of meetings and nothing beyond that. Now, I am not going to say that this means we should all be doing more. I think there is some more that we need to be thinking about, but it's not doing. People are busting a gut to keep Spring on the road. Saw that this morning. We had a little blip there uh, with something that should be less important than it is, and, and that's the... Uh, uh, that's with the PA area, and uh, Rosie uh, works with that, Nigel works with that, David, David works with that as, who's on setup today? Dave, Dave's on setup, he was sorting the PA, he was doing uh, youth as well. Now, that's going above and beyond, even though he's on salaried staff right? Because none of that is on his position description. And there is Christian organisation at the moment who's been dragged all through the mire, probably for good reasons, because of the way in which it's treated its staff. And it's acted as a big wake-up call to the fact that churches put upon volunteers, they put upon staff to do more and more and more and uh, expect them to do it for no or for little 
um, uh, remuneration and acceptance. So we're not asking people, I'm not asking people, it's not in my heart to say, look, we should do more. Because lots of you are doing as much as you can. Now, let's go back then. That's my summary. That's the abstract. But if we go back to the first week, we talked about uh, church as description, definition, and we got to the dynamic of church. And we established that one way of looking at the dynamic of church is there in John chapter 13, where Jesus says, and you all know this, I give you a new commandment to love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, we looked a bit at that word during the first week. Uh, it is a single word, one another. And, uh, uh, you know, it occurs 50 odd times in the New Testament. 16 times we're told to love one another. And then it goes on in other places to uh, uh, expand on it uh, in all these ways. We listed the ways that we're told. Uh, it's unpacked about 30 times in different ways. There's a few negatives about not doing things to one another and not responding to one another in particular ways. But all sorts of stuff there. I think you'll find, well, it's certainly on the... Uh, uh, either on WhatsApp or on the website, something there, those things. So uh, what we were saying is this, that the internal dynamic of church is that we love one another, okay? Yeah. See ya, and we'll pray for you. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. The, uh, um, so that's where we got to. We talked, as I said, about the, uh, uh, about the complexity of church and we re reflected on the fact that when we thought of our descriptions of church, we tended to focus on those that were about gathered church, about meetings. And it's interesting that this little bit about loving one another actually comes in the chapter that starts off with, I am the vine, you are the branches. Okay? Which is a picture of the church, the vine. And it's not a picture of meetings, it's a picture of shared life coming from the Lord. And we looked at a couple of verses there for as each of us, has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we uh, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So that's really what we're thinking about now. Um, we've tested all this stuff. We need to sort out this complexity a bit. So insofar as possible, in a ch small church, which is doing very well in terms of growth and functioning, uh, could be doing more, but it's doing well. Um, we uh, 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 we uh, reflect on what it means to be community. Now, 
the, uh, we go on to a bit of new Bible here. This idea of love one another, you get from Jesus, you get it from Paul. Paul actually says at one point in Galatians, you need to do good to everybody, right? As you get opportunity, do good to everybody. And then he adds something to that. Anybody know what he adds to it? Especially those of the family of faith. Yeah? So somewhere in there, there's got to be some, some priorities as well. And that sort of figures with, we're passed from death to life because we love the uh, brothers and sisters. 1 John talks a lot about it. It says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let us not love with word and speech, but with actions and truth. And in truth. We hardly need to ask what that means because we've got all that list of 30 things, 30 ways in which we can love each other in deed and truth. It's not about doing more, having more gatherings. Love one another. It comes as a very bold command. It doesn't say, oh, allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow in you. And when the fruit of the Spirit grows in you, as you get into the future and you become more and more mature and more and more Christ-like, you'll be able to love one another. Jesus says to those guys who really quite often didn't get on with one another, he said, no, love one another as I have loved you. It's that basic, it's that fundamental, that is uh, the essence there. But as I was thinking and, uh, about this and thought, well, if it's not about doing more, what is it about? And uh, I got to this, and this is a bit of a strange connection, but we're going we're to do some work on this, and this is really what it's about for the next quarter of an hour. At the beginning of the book of Revelation, there is a whole section in fact, some people think that Revelation was two or three books um, and that the first book is uh, just chapters one to five. don't know whether that's true. I don't think it matters whether it's true or not. But at, right at the start, there, is, uh, there are seven letters to seven churches. They're quite short messages. But those churches can be understood in all sorts of ways. And the first letter is this, and the letter is from the one who stands in the middle of the candlesticks, uh, middle of the lampstands, and uh, uh, you could assume it comes straight from the Lord. And the letter is written to the angels of the churches. There's lots of different people who think that uh, this means different things. But anyway, the angel of the church is the embodiment of the church. So here's the letter to Ephesus. And it starts off like this. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. 
You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. I'm very often impressed with uh, Dayspring as I look around and see there are people still doing the stuff. Year on year, coming back and doing it more. Absolutely brilliant. But here's the Spirit speaking to this church, uh, Ephesus, and makes a statement, yes, I hold this against you, you are forsaken the love you had at first. I really want to stop there, but let's just read this through so we've got the, the fitting. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have in your, this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. As the other seven letters go on, it talks about what happens to the one who's going to be victorious. And the victorious one walks in white robes and gets these great tattoos um, which have got the name of God and has got a secret name of God and has got a secret name and they get a stone which has got a name on um, and nobody knows it uh, apart from them and uh, they are able to, they get their names permanently in indelible ink in the book of life. That's just great stuff about overcoming and that's really what the target is uh, in all of these letters. But... Um, there you are. What I want us to do is to say, is to consider the idea that the critical thing in finding community, in getting community at the right level, in investing in the groups that God has called us to, right, which isn't just being part of a local congregation. And here's my question. And for some of you, you may need to dig deep to get to an answer to this. But here it is. What was the love you had at first for God like? Okay, just bear with me in the sentence construction. What was it like when you first loved God? Okay. Now, some of you may well say, well, I had a very gradual entry and it increased over time. So the question for you is, what was your love for God like at its strongest? And we're going to do storytelling. And what I would like to do is for you to get together with somebody else who would not be your spouse, definitely not be your spouse, and uh, just tell them what it was like when your love for God was at its strongest. And if it's at its strongest today, then praise God, just tell them about that. What was it like? What happened? What were some of the examples? Okay, we'll take 30 seconds quiet to have a little think, and then I'm going to ask you to stand up, go find somebody, and tell stories. 
of what it was like when you were at peak passion for Jesus. Okay, thinking about it. I'm just doing this now. Okay, your attention please. Back to this passage, round about the middle there underneath uh, that second paragraph. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Yeah, I do want to talk about the love of God. But the love of God is consistent with the command to repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its space, place. What do you think that means? What is it for a church to have its lampstand removed? Well, it's certainly the root for the oil. The light. Yeah. In fact, it doesn't say, I'll come and snuff your light out. It's the whole lampstand that gets removed. And it's really challenging to think that here in this church, that what did God doing? Hard work, perseverance, can't tolerate wicked people, stayed appropriately conservative, tested those, found them false, you've persevered, you've endured hardships for my name, you've not grown weary, and yet within a generation, the Spirit is saying, you've lost your first love. All this is true, but love is the thing. And so I think the challenge of community is this, summed up very simply in one little verse in 1 John chapter 3, where it says, (coughs) we know that we have crossed over from death to life because we love our fellow Christians. Okay? I don't know what that means for you. I'm trying to work out what it means for me. I don't know how it affects my priorities. I know that like you, (coughs) excuse me, I make decisions based on what I think is the right thing to do when it comes to being involved in stuff. Like, for instance, one of the things I was going to put in front of you because it affected me a couple of weeks ago. Do I go to pizza evening? Or do I go to see stand-up at the Oxford Playhouse with my son? Real choice. Oxford Playhouse on that occasion. Very good evening. (laughs) Come Friday this week, though, when my schedule was to uh, spend the four hours doing the final preparation for my talk, the opportunity came for us to have lunch with uh, uh, our granddaughter who was home for a reading week from university, reading week's week off. Um, the, uh, and uh, what was the choice? What should I have been doing? Wendy could have gone on her own. What's the spirit saying? Where's love operating in those circumstances? going to be Sunday soon, probably, where you won't see me. 
because I'm going to be standing on a muddy touchline at, well, not too close to the touchline, don't want to get hit by rugby ball, um, but uh, we'll be uh, watching Thomas, our Thomas, um, in quarterfinals of some cup that, in the west of England that uh, he'll be playing in. Those sort of things, they're real choices, they're legitimate choices, but it still comes back to the fact that somewhere undergirding all that we do, we know that we've passed from death to life, not because we love our families, not because we love our hobbies, not because we love stand-up comedy, which I'm afraid I really do, um, but we know we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. And that means that we do good to everybody as we have opportunity, especially to those of the family of faith. Okay, probably won't talk about that again before Christmas, but you might find it getting weaved into the theme next year. What do we do? How do we do it? How does that happen? And I really don't have answers. Let's pray. Let's be still, for the power of the Lord is moving in this place. He comes to cleanse and heal, to minister his grace, including recovering the love that we first had. No work too hard for him. Whatever it is that makes it difficult, in faith receive from him. Be still. Holy Spirit, come we pray. Keep on coming as you have been, as we've worshipped and shared exhortation and encouragement and as we've talked about the scripture. Holy Spirit, keep coming. Energise us, walk with us into this week as we work out our priorities in the challenges and complexity of the life to which you have called us. Amen. Okay, that's it guys.